How are you doing? Good. Yeah, let me have a clicker. Good to see everybody this evening. Hope that you're all doing well. I've shook, I've shook hands with so many of you, and I want you to know I, I do not have COVID. Okay, I got something worse. I've got sinus. So, uh, well, you know, COVID's bad enough, isn't it, and everything. So, um, I'm just dealing with this old sinus stuff, pressure, you know, drainage, all that kind of stuff. And so, um, I am not contagious. Um, I just don't feel good. But uh, it's good to be here tonight. Been down in Montgomery, uh, drove in from Montgomery just a few minutes ago. Been down there attending the, the uh, Leader Connect, Leaders Connect Conference, Leadership Conference. Spoke a couple of times today. And um, after we're through here tonight, hey Jeff, how you doing man? After we're through here tonight, I'll be heading back to Montgomery and uh, speak a couple of times tomorrow and everything. So I ask for your prayers and safe travels and everything. Um, I-65 is... that better? Can everybody hear? Everybody okay? All right. So just give me some, uh, give me a few prayers and everything that uh, safe travels and that kind of stuff. Then back to Winfield on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday afternoon to do Bible study. So just kind of here, there, and everywhere. And uh, But it's good to be here this evening. Good to see all of you tonight. Uh, <clears throat> Let's begin with a prayer, please. Father, we thank you for this day that you have granted unto us and all the many blessings. Father, we thank you for this beautiful weather. And Father, we realize as it is hot, it'll one day be cold, and we just thank you for everything, Father. Father, in your benevolence and your kindness, you give us everything that we need and so many things that we want. And Father, for all of that, we're deeply appreciative. For this congregation, Father, we thank you. We're grateful. And for the good members here and the good stand, the good reputation, Father, we're we're appreciative for that as well. For food, clothing, and shelter, and all the blessings of life, Father, and uh, Father, for the fact that we can be with friends and family and uh, enjoy this beautiful world that you have given us, we're, we're also appreciative and grateful for all of those things. And Father, for the fact of being here this evening to be able to study from your word and reflect on spiritual principles, Father, our appreciation just, uh, it just continues to exceed. And Father, for all of the things, and we've mentioned just a few, but there are so many more that we have uh, reason to be thankful. We thank you for the, the most important thing, the number one thing, the thing that stands head and shoulders above anything and everything. And Father, we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so we're going to be looking at a few things. Uh, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Job. And uh, do I just start it? Okay, good deal. Job chapter one, verse 13 and following kind of gives us a jumping off place, uh, introduction, as it were. Just think about some things that relate to Job in this text. You know the chapter will jump right into this chapter, see some of the calamities that Job experiences, and then just reflect on that and show you a few things in regard to Ukraine, just kind of incorporate some things together, if that is okay. Is that okay with everybody? Sound good? Okay. Job 1, verse number 13, notice as you read in your text together. The text says, there was a day when his, sons, uh, when his sons and daughters, now that's Job's sons and daughters, 
They were eating, drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, and a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing, the donkeys were feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans, or the Sabians, they raided them and took them away. Indeed, they, are, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell thee. Now, if you know the context, as I know that you do, God and Satan have been having a dialogue. Uh, they've been discussing various things, and one thing that comes up is uh, Job. And God is very favorable toward Job, calls him, well, as we see in chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 8, he uses characteristics and qualities to describe Job that are just <laughs> phenomenal. I mean, you're talking about something that, that you say, well, that's what I want to be. In fact, this Sunday is Father's Day. And um, I'll speak and I'll preach on Job 1, verse 1, Job 1, verse 8. These are four of the greatest qualities you'll find anywhere in the Bible, and I believe it's qualities that every Christian should strive to, to attain. Chapter 1, verse 1, blameless, upright, one that feared God, shunned evil. Those are a quartet of qualities. That's outstanding. Down in chapter 1, verse number 8, now it's God speaking about Job to Satan, and he repeats these same four qualities. And so now because of this dialogue, Satan has accused Job of serving God, believing in God, doing what God wants in his life. And the only reason that Job is doing that is because God gives him a whole lot of stuff. And after all, you know, you don't, lift a, you don't look a gift horse, horse in the mouth. And so, therefore, Satan is really making an accusation, taking down a gauntlet and looking at various things. And he says, well, Job, he's just faithful because you give him a lot of stuff. God says, well, okay, let's test that. Let's just see. And so... God unleashes, as it were, Satan on Job. He tells him you can do anything you want to to him, just don't kill him. God remains in control of all of that. And so we see in verse number 13, the first wave of difficulties that come along in Job's laugh. Uh, and notice in verse 13, it says there was a day. It doesn't say a month, a year. It doesn't say, you know, uh, a week. It says a day. And uh, sometimes we have bad days, don't we? Have you ever had a bad day? And I tell you, I just live. I just go from bad day to bad day, you know. And then I go to Hardee's and get a biscuit and things get better, you know. So, uh, y'all have, is there Hardee's around here? Jack's. We'll go to Jack's, okay? That's where we'll go. It's not too heart healthy, okay? But every now and then you can have a sausage biscuit. At least my cardiologist says every now and then. Just every now and then. So that's what I had this past Saturday. And so there was a day. He had a bad day. What happened? Well, his sons and daughters, they were having a party. The oldest brother was hosting it. And there was a messenger that came in and he was telling a message. He said, the oxen, they were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them. Notice in chapter one, verse three, you see that there are 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys. Job had a lot of livestock. And so they're out there in the field and the oxen are plowing, the donkeys are feeding beside them and the Sabaeans, they raided them, took them away. Indeed, they've killed the servants with the edge of the sword and I have alone escaped to tell thee. Well, that's a horrible message. I doubt I would have delivered that message with my monotone voice right now. I'd have probably been screaming and hollering and huffing and puffing and, you know, that kind of thing. That's how it would deliver the message. Now in verse number uh, 16, I want you to notice now a second messenger comes in while the first messenger is still talking about things. While he was still speaking, another also came in and said, the fire of God fell from heaven. And, what's the fire of God? Somebody know what the fire of God is? 
lightning. That's lightning, yeah. The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only, I alone, escaped to tell thee. Well, now, if you go back to chapter 1 and verse number 3, you see there's 7,000 sheep. What kind of lightning storm would it take to burn 7,000 sheep? That's a pretty bad lightning storm, isn't it? I don't think I've ever seen one like that in my lifetime. But nonetheless, it happened. And the servants, they're gone as well. Consumed them. Uh, the same word is used with Elijah on Mount Carmel when God fired down upon that altar that Elijah had built, lapped it up, even the water consumed it. Then we come to verse number 17 and notice this. While he was still speaking, another also said, the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camp. Well, now these Chaldeans, they have military training. Are y'all hearing a little buzz? Okay, I'm hearing a little buzz as well. Is that normal? We'll buzz right along, okay? Call me Buzz Lightyear tonight, okay? So he was speaking, and the Chaldeans, they formed three bands. They had military training. Two flanking assaults, one frontal assault. These guys are probably mercenaries. And they raided the camels, took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell thee. This is number three. Right here. Get rid of that cell phone there. That'll, that'll remedy. So this is the third message Joseph received in regard to his possessions and his servants. But as the old saying goes, he's not seen nothing yet. Because in verse number 18, it says, While he was yet speaking, another also came in and said, Your sons and daughters were eating, drinking wine in the eldest brother's house. And suddenly a, a great wind from across the wilderness struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people. And they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell thee. Horrible. Do you know how many sons and daughters Job had? Had ten. Seven sons, three daughters. I, I really don't want to get morbid. The loss of a loved one is horrible. Here he had lost ten children. Job's had a bad day. Bad day. His possessions are gone. His servants are dead. And now it's time to bury 10 children. You might ask, what would a person do if they had experienced that? Verse number 20, it says, Job arose. He didn't remain stationary. Number two, he tore his robe. I've been in these clothes all day long. I'm ready to change, but nonetheless, a match. Because this morning when I got up early in the hotel, I took a picture of myself in the mirror and sent it to my wife down at the beach and I said, do I look okay? She sent me back a thumbs up, so I know I'm good. But if I had lost what Job had lost, my fashion would be the least of my concern. Says that he shaved his head. Now, I've, you know, don't you love it when you have a good hair day? Isn't it great, you know? And I thought, I put enough hairspray on this morning to conquer the humidity, and it's held up. I mean, it's still, still, still there, you know, so things are going well. But if I would have lost as much as Job lost, I wouldn't care about my hair. And then it says he fell to the ground, probably lose strength in every extremity of my body. But it's the last two words in verse number 20 that really interest me the most. When life tumbled in and times got tough, the text says Job worshiped. 
He didn't crawl into a bottle. He didn't crawl into a bottle of pills. He didn't crawl into a corner and disappear. He didn't crawl within himself and never reemerge. He went to the source of his strength and he worshiped. I like that. I need that. Because we'll all have bad days and no one has the monopoly on having the worst day because the bad day you have is bad to you. And that's what many people, you know, will look for. They look for, what am I going to do? But now not only would I ask, what is a person going to do or what will they do in times like this? I'll also ask, what will they say? Listen long enough and you'll hear. So that's the next verse, verse 21. And I know that he's saying that because the first three words, and he said, I've got that. What did he say? Number one, naked I came from my mother's womb. Now how did every one of us come into this world? We came naked from our mother's womb. In other words, how much did you bring into this world when you entered it? Zero. And then he says, and naked shall I return there. So when we leave this world, how much will we take with us? Zero. So what Job is doing here is very important. He's establishing parameters. He's talking about the time between birth and death. And if we were to choose a word to describe what happens between birth and death, what word might we use to describe that time period? Anybody? Life. Life. And that's what every one of us are doing exactly at this moment. We're right in the middle of it. So, life. So, we see, Job says, while I'm alive, he said, the Lord gave. Everything that, that Job had, he had received it from the Lord. Folks, everything we have is not our own. We don't own the house. We don't own the car. We don't own the clothes. We don't own the food. We don't own the investments. We don't own the land. None of it is ours. It's own loan to us from God. And he says, God, he's the one that gave. And he says, and the Lord has taken away. So let me tell you this. If God decides to take away every possession that you have, doesn't he have a right to do that? Because it belongs to him in the first place. And he doesn't even have to wait around to listen to us whine about it, does he? And then the, the last phrase in this verse really interests me the most. Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so much loss and so much suffering, Job worshiped. And then that phrase, blessed be the name of the Lord, that's in the form of a prayer. And he prayed. I like that because when I think of people that are suffering in our world today, well, there's so many, but I think of the folks in Ukraine that are really suffering at this time. And I know that you're listening to the news and you're aware of the things that are going on, but let me just share with you a few things in relationship to this context that might help us just to understand a little bit about what they're going through. Um, Ukraine is a beautiful country, uh, just gorgeous. It's about, well, it's a little bit larger than the state of Texas to kind of give you some geographic, you know, context. Um, beautiful things in regard to it. It's the largest country in Eastern Europe capital is Kiev, about three million people. The richest soil that you'll ever find anywhere on the face of this earth. I mean, the delta doesn't hold a candle to the Ukrainian soil. I've been told by my Ukrainian friends that when Hitler, when he was making his way east and he hit the gauntlet, uh, Minsk, Belarus, and all the way down, he couldn't get any further, and then he had to turn around and go back to Germany, made him so mad 
that he brought in trucks and scooped up the topsoil and took it back to Germany with him. Well, he, he saw the value of the soil. Almost 45 million people, a lot of people say, well, 5 million people have left the country, and that's right. Nearly 6 million now, 40 million are still there. And so uh, think about that. I've been working there now for 30 years, went in just after the Iron Curtain failed, and you know what we talk about when we mean the Iron Curtain. Um, I was a part of some of those first campaigns there that baptized nearly 1,500 one year, set up about 60 congregations. I was so blessed to be a part of that. Beautiful country, beautiful people, humble, kind, and loving, haven't done a single thing to deserve what they have received. Country is beautiful, and I hope you can see this. Uh, I hope it's not too small. Just to give you an idea of some of the cities that are really instrumental in Ukraine, Kiev is the capital right on the Dnieper River, just south of Chernobyl. You've heard of that, haven't you? You know, right up there around in the Chernobyl area. <clears throat> city of Lviv, a beautiful city. This is where I go snow skiing when I get a day off or something. Right there in the, Carpath the, the Carpathian Mountain Range, you know. We've all heard of Transylvania, you know. That's in the Carpathian Mountain Range. Lviv, beautiful. Oh, whenever I, I, I go through Lviv, they got some of the best tasting tea. Lvivian tea. It's, it's some of the best stuff you'll ever, you'll ever drink in your life. Uh, the city of Ternopil, there's a huge, huge group of Christians in Ternopil at this time. Also, Ivanovkosk, a lot of Christians there, especially in Chernetsi. Number of Christians that are there, expats or transplants, refugees, sometimes they're called. City of Odessa, that is a beautiful city. Anybody like caviar? Anybody eat caviar? And I love caviar. I can't afford it, but I, I love caviar. Black caviar, you know, that's the most popular. Sometimes you have white caviar, but down in Odessa, right there on the Black Sea, you can get red caviar. Mm-mm, good. Well, that stuff is delicious. Whenever I go to Odessa, I try to buy a little bit, you know, afford a little bit, and it's delicious. But Odessa, beautiful port city. Uh, the city of Nikopol, I, I've enjoyed strawberries through my life, but you'll not taste a better strawberry than that which is raised in Nikopol. city of uh, Zaporozhye, if you remember on the news, there was a nuclear plant that was in struggle between the Ukrainian and Russians, and uh, the Russians took over and then the Ukrainians took back over. That's there in Zaporozhye. I've been by that nuclear plant numerous times, numerous times. The city of Dnieper, it's right on the Dnieper River. Uh, it used to be named Dnipropetrovsk, but because of the Russian influence, a lot of cities have been renamed. And that's where I have my, that's why I have an apartment. Well, I'll show you in just a minute. I had an apartment there. But nonetheless, just east of there is the city of Pavlohod. Before I left coming back from Ukraine, established, Lord established a congregation there. He let me be a part of it. And uh, they're still worshiping. Believe it or not, they're still worshiping. Three cities in the Donetsk region, uh, Kramatorsk, Slavyansk, and Spitogorsk. These cities have been just uh, devastated. If you remember a newscast about a train station that was bombed, 88 people were killed. You might have seen that. I've been through that train station numerous times. In fact, two of my very close friends were killed in that train station. Two, two sisters, two ladies. I baptized one, helped convert the other, and uh, really sad to hear about that. We've heard a lot about, uh, let's see, where are we at now? That's kind of over, well, the Luhansk region, 
that's been heavily bombed, and also the Donetsk region. Uh, the city of, well, most people pronounce it Maripol. Uh, we've heard a lot about Maripol, you know, really Mariupol is, I, I think that's the way it's to be pronounced. But uh, lots going on there. I'm going to give you my opinion. Because a lot of people have asked, you know, Mark, why did all of this start? Why did all of this happen? And I believe it happened because of selfishness. I believe greed was the root of the, the problem. There's a place just in the south called the Crimea Peninsula, one of the most beautiful places you'll ever visit on the face of this earth. I mean, it is absolutely gorgeous. There was a young man that grew up, Russian, he grew up and his family went to the Crimea Peninsula every summer, spent the summer there. That was their summer vacation spot, fell in love with it. Vowed to always go back every year for the summer and do vacation. And that's what he did. Just grew up loving the Crimea Peninsula. And then in 2013, when the U.S. announced that they had targeted the Crimea Peninsula to build a U.S. air base, this, this man became infuriated. He said, I'm not going to let my precious Crimea Peninsula, where I've gone for years, be tainted by Western corruption, especially a military base. And it infuriated him. And so he started a war. His name, his name. I believe that all of this stems, and once again, I think this is, this is my opinion. I believe it all stems Crimea Peninsula, and he didn't want that to fall into American hands. And thus, much of this has resulted. There's a lot of other things that are involved in, but sometimes the biggest wars start by the tiniest things, you know. And so it could be that this is the, the root cause. We do a lot of teaching, a lot of groups, get together, teach. We teach about being a Bible husband, a Bible wife, raising Bible children. Even, hey, this is one thing. Talk about how to be Bible in-laws. Bible in-law. Bible has a lot to say about how to be a good in-law. Sometimes in-laws cause problems, don't they? The Bible tells us how to be that. So we, we talk about that, the, let the Bible be the guide. We get together and have a lot of good time teaching, preaching, singing, praying, being together, that kind of thing. I love to work with the orphans. That's one of the enriching things that I'm able to do. Not only the boys, but the girls as well. Right now, the Winfield congregation is supporting four different orphanages, two boys, two girls orphanages. And uh, this is one of the boys' orphanages, 25 young men. And uh, you put some pizza in front of these 25 guys, and they'll graze through it like cattle. And uh, I just spend time pouring Coke and Fanta and Pepsi, you know, just keeping their glasses full. They're, they're wonderful. You see, in, in Ukraine, when you reach the age of 16, you're out of the orphanage. Well, what if you don't have family? You're out of the orphanage. What if you don't have any friends? You're out of the orphanage. What if you don't have anywhere to go? You're out of the orphanage. So between the time of entrance and 16, they learn a trade. Maybe a painter, a carpenter, a mechanic, maybe a hairstylist, something like that, you know, something they can do. <coughs> Excuse me. So we try to spend a lot of time talking about morals, values, ethics to help when they do exit. And they're able to not only put their trade into place, but be a citizen and hopefully to be a Christian and that kind of thing. 
lots of seminars uh, on the family. Uh, this seminar was on uh, conflict resolution, uh, the Bible prescription for resolving problems, and uh, went through a lot of that. A uh, lot of teaching, age, group, uh, gender specific, that kind of thing. Um, I love these up in Slavyansk. Uh, see the little guy on my, my knee? His name is Bogdan. We call him Little Bogdan. Whenever I'm there, he's my shadow. If I stand up, he stands up. If I sit down, he sits down. If I get a cup of tea, he gets a cup of tea. If I get a cup of coffee, even though he does not like coffee, he gets a cup of coffee. And whenever it's time to go, he grabs my leg and Please be my papa, take me home with you, and I wish I could. And I, I lost contact with them just as soon as I got out of the country, and for three weeks I couldn't find them. The guy on the far right in the San Francisco sweatshirt, he's medium-sized Bogdan. Bogdan is a very familiar name in, in Eastern Europe. And finally found them in the city of Trinetsi. And I messaged Bogdan, medium-sized Bogdan, how much money do you need to take care of them? He gave me a figure. I said, it'll be there tomorrow. And since then, these orphans have been taken care of from month to month, uh, food, clothing, shelter, medication, that kind of thing. And uh, this is what's called the Sun Sunflower School in uh, Splitogorsk. I mean, it's not Splitogorsk, Slavyansk. And uh, they go to school during the day, and then after school, they come to the church building, and they learn about Jesus and they're taught English using, guess what text to use to teach English? The Bible. Good kids, I love them. Uh, several folks that are just wonderful on the, let's see, that would be on the far left, uh, Sasha, uh, Alexander, fantastic minister. Not the best preacher in the world, but a fantastic minister. I'd put him up against any minister in the country of Ukraine in the middle. Uh, Sergey and Marina, they're some of my closest friends. I've known them 25, 25 years. And uh, uh, just, uh, just this week, uh, due to the fact that they were not able to, we're all adults here, they were not able to conceive a child naturally. And so they have gone with artificial insemination. And that happened this week. So I'm sitting on pins and needles to hear if I'm going to be an adopted grandpa. And uh, so I'm hoping and praying that it will. On the right is biggest Bogdan, okay? That's what we call him. I've had 12 youth ministers in my career as a minister. The one I've got now is fantastic. But I'd put this youth minister up against all of them any day. He's fantastic. Uh, Sasha, uh, uh, Slavic. Slavic and his wife, Katia, uh, Oksana, and Andrew, their children. Slavic is a, a minister. He's a gospel preacher. But really, he's an evangelist. And ev you know the difference? He's an evangelist. The city of Nikopol, he's doing a fantastic work. Uh, down in Odessa, these two guys right here, Vladimir and Andrew, they're doing a fantastic work. Uh, they're working in, in, in helping the folks in Odessa, uh, and I'll show you some things that we've just done in the last few weeks in regard to them. But uh, Odessa is very close to Maripol. And a lot of folks from Maripol have, have, have transplanted into Odessa. And the Christians are being taken care of by these two good fellows right here. 
Baptisms, even when times are tough, you keep preaching the gospel, don't you? Even when times are difficult, even when war is on, you keep evangelizing. So evangelism is going on. Oh, I love this picture. Right in the middle, a guy hugging the woman and everything. That's, that's the picture I love the most. He had just baptized his mama, and he's hugging her. I thought that is precious as precious can be. Uh, wonderful, wonderful things in regard to souls being saved. Uh, this was yesterday. Uh, no, today is, what, Tuesday? This was Sunday in uh, Chernetsi, and uh, this precious uh, Zienna is now a Christian. And so just wonderful. Now, supplies for families, uh, Pablahad, many supplies have gone in there. Also for the orphans. There's a lady by the name of Rita, and Rita's doing a great job of taking care of those in Odessa, in, in Dnipro, Dnipro, and um, she's, she's working really hard. We wire money to her once a month, and uh, she takes in medication, shoes, clothing, the necessities for the orphan. This is an older, this is a group of older boys in this orphanage. <clears throat> Um, we have been purchasing some houses uh, in rural areas so that those that are escaping from the east can come and live in these houses until it's time for them to go back to their homes and start their lives again. And uh, this house, for example, we have three families living in this house just outside of the city of Nicopol. And once they have gone back to their home after this atrocity, these atrocities are over, this will be turned into a church building. And so, just to give you an idea of what, okay, this is my apartment. <laughs> or what used to be in my apartment. <laughs> and so, um, I, have not got, I, I have got a line on a new apartment, and I hope to transfer the money to get it purchased uh, within the next couple of months so that I'll have a place to land and put my suitcase while I'm there. But I love that apartment. I'd gone in like, I'd taken like Ikea, you know, and, and gone through it. Just, it, it was just right. Now, now you can see what's happened there. Some good results over the last eight weeks. That top number, 41 baptisms, is actually 42 because of the one that happened Sunday. Now, these are just the ones that have been reported to me. And I can only imagine that there are many, 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 many more. I'd like to have uh, uh, an accurate count, but now this is what's been reported to me. Restorations, reconciliations, you know, even, even when times are tough and marriage is kind of on the rocks, uh, it's good when they come back together. And those wedding ceremonies, that had to be a bright light in such a dark day. Now, up to this point, we've purchased, <coughs> we purchased five houses. We purchased a house that will house three families each. We go in and we check the foundation, the roof, the plumbing, the electrical, the kitchen, the bathroom, make sure the structure is sound, spend what money we need in regard to that, then move the families in and they'll stay there until this war is over. And once it's over, we'll re, kind of refurbish it into a church building. And so right now, in, in ever how long it will be when this thing is over, there'll be five new congregations in Ukraine. And that's a wonderful thing. But now, I say that I have a goal of 15. I've changed that. My goal now is 25. 
I, I want, by the time this war is over, 25 houses that are going to be re, re, reworked as a church building. Uh, won't it be wonderful when this thing is over and we're able to say, there's 25 new congregations in that country. And uh, that, that's the goal right now. We're able to purchase a house and about an acre, a hectare of land, um, anywhere from ten dollars to $15,000. And then we put about 5000 into it, just updating it. So we're, we're having about $20,000 per house. And uh, that's pretty cheap to have a future church building, isn't it? And the church in that particular location. And so uh, I'm really excited, continue exciting about this. I direct three Christian colleges in Eastern Europe, one in the city of Odessa, one in the city of Dnipro, and one in the city of Minsk, Belarus. But we have suspended classes until further notice, until this war is over. But they're anxious to get back in their classes. And uh, I, I believe we're gonna be able to, to resume classes even before the war is over. I, I have hope in that regard. We're training Christians, we're training gospel preachers, Christian teachers, and mission workers. And uh, you know, International Bible College, y'all know IBC, what's now Heritage Christian University, they did a great job. Man, you're talking about a fantastic work. And I remember listening to David Underwood, Basil Overton, and Charles Coyle talk one time, and they said, you know, we might have got it backwards. They said to bring foreigners to America, train them, and then once their training is over, send them back. Well, if you bring someone to America and they stay here for a little while, when it's time to go back, what sometimes happens? They want to stay. And so we've kind of reversed it now. So we train in their own language, in their own culture, in their own country. Instead of bringing them here, go to them. And uh, that's the, the technique that we're using now. I always enjoy spending time with preachers, um, especially preachers and their sons. This is Victor. He's a preacher. His son, he's a PK. Nassar is a PK. You know what a PK stands for? Preacher's kid. I'm one. I've got two. My son's got three, and they're wanting eight. So uh, pray for me, please. Pray for me. And I love working with these. And uh, Nassar right here, right now, he's making $300 a month. Could you make it on $300 a month? Well, it's a different culture, different country, yes, and everything. But $300 a month is not, not much. We're going to bump him up to $500 a month. He's doing a great work. Uh, training preachers... And I'll be able to see that. That says training preachers. I know David and I and others, Mike and, and others, uh, you don't know it. We don't advertise it, but uh, the preachers that I know in this area, we, we work from what's called historical theology. When you hear a sermon here, it's, it's based on historical theology. That's just to see it. That's a big dollar term, you know. There's a thing that's going on right now called narrative theology that is dangerous. And I picked up on it in Ukraine, and I was hearing some of the preachers as they were drifting over into narrative theology. So I've been doing a lot of preaching about the dangers of narrative theology, promoting then historical theology. Um, also, and this is a big term, but uh, I'll tell you what it means. Homiletical structures that strengthen parabolic 
uh, proclamation dealing with in-stress devices. What that simply means is this. Parables are wonderful, but a parable has one lesson. Now, many applications, but one lesson. It means to the original readers what it means to the readers today. One lesson. We've got a lot of applications there, but one lesson. And the lesson comes in the end thing, like Jesus said to the Good Samaritan and those that had, you know, been hearing that. He said, go and do likewise. That's the lesson. And so I do a lot of teaching in regard to that, but also just basic things about how to begin a sermon, uh, what, where, when, why, who, and what, and, and how, just how to develop a sermon. You know, I'm not going to get up here and preach just off the cuff. I'm going to spend time in preparation. And so it's important that preachers understand that they must burn the midnight oil and prepare. Do a lot of preaching and teaching, a lot of small group Bible studies, a lot of good things going on, and that's one. Oh, these folks love to eat, and I fit right in with them. Got right in there with them. They took this picture of me down on the Black Sea, and it, it, it kind of it's got to bother me just a little bit because they said I look like a Turkish sea captain. I said, well, if that's what a Turkish sea captain looks like, he's a good-looking dude. March the 4th, it was about 5 a.m. in the morning. And I'll finish up with this. I was fast asleep in my nice little cozy apartment, you know. And I was awakened by explosions in the city of Dnipro. They were bombing the, the airport and a couple of factories on the edge of town, not far from where my apartment is located. And I was startled. The building was rattling. The windows were shaking. Got a call on my cell phone from Sergey and Marina. We'll be there in 20 minutes. Get everything together. We got to get you out of the country. This war is going ballistic. 20 minutes later, they pulled up in front of the apartment and that little Ford van was packed tighter than sardines and I squeezed in somehow and we, we drove 734 miles across the breadth of the country took 22 hours to do that, stopping along the way. Christians would have us a cup of tea, <coughs> piece of bread, piece of cheese. One Christian sister said, lay down on the couch, just get 20 minutes of sleep, and finally made it to the city of Lviv. Bought the last ticket on a flick bus. This is a European bus line, and uh, paid five times what I'd normally pay, but I was proud to pay it. It's the last ticket. This bus was going to uh, Warsaw, Poland. Standing there waiting on the bus to arrive, and sirens are going off, military's running everywhere, people are just chaotic. They're trying to get them into the basements, into the storm shelters, or the bomb shelters of the city. Finally got on the bus, and we took off out of town, got a little ways out of town, and had to stop for a passport check. Like I said, I was on the bus. All were Ukrainians except me, and, and my, the guy sitting right next to me, he was Polish, and he could speak about that much English. And he said to me, he said, do you have any food or water? I said, no, I don't have any of that. He said, there's a magazine right over there, convenience store. 
said, you better go and get you some. We could be on this bus for days. Bought all the bottled water they had, bought some Perolsky, and that's good. That's like a fried apple pie. Not heart healthy, okay? But you can eat them every now and then. Bought all the Varinky they had. We call that ravioli. Got back on the bus and we took off. Well, as we were going, I, I, I look out the window and there, and I'm not exaggerating, there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Ukrainians on the sides of the roads walking. Many of their vehicles had, had run out of fuel and they had abandoned them. They're trying to get out of the country. See, President Zelensky had said, if you're between the age of 18 and 60 and you're a man, you can't leave the country, which really 16 and 60 but they advertised 18 and 60. And so what you see here is these are women with children pushing strollers, elderly. They're trying to get out because their men can't. So we're going along and going along and we got five kilometers from the Ukrainian side of the border. Bus came to a screeching halt Ukrainian military surrounded us and my Polish friend said, get your passport and your passport only. All of us have got to get off the bus. All the men have got to get off the bus. They're checking. Like I said, I was the only American. About 60 of us on the bus, one Polish guy and the rest, they're Ukrainians. Military surrounded us and they're being rough. They're angry. Their country is being bombed, their citizens are being killed, and they've got to stay behind, but these folks are able to get out, and here's an American. Boy, they were being rough. Let me tell you, the butt end of an AK-47 assault rifle, when it hits you, it hurts, and it leaves a mark. All the bruises have healed and everything. I still have a, I still have a tender tender spot on my abdomen, but it's getting better. They're being rough. I asked my Polish friend, why are they doing it? They said, they're probably just, they're just taking it out on you. They put us in one of those cages, like you've seen down on the Mexican border, you know, where people have been put in, you know, they put us in one of those cages and, and they're trying to get our passports. I'm not about to give that thing up. I'll never give my passport up. So they take me out of the cage into a building yonder. I don't know how long it was, hours upon hours of interrogation, and they're still being rough. They're just, I guess they're just angry. Had to take it out on somebody. Finally, it was over. They gave me a bottle of water and brought me back to the cage. The guys, they were hugging me and kissing me on both cheeks. They were so proud to see me. I was proud to see them. I did not realize the magnitude of danger that I was in and had been in. Finally, we were allowed to get back on the bus, and I asked my Polish friend, I said, and what happened to y'all while I was gone? He said, well, nothing. We just stayed here. And I said, man, I was proud to see you. And he said, and we were proud to see you. Why, I ask. It really kind of blew me back when he said this. He said, because we really didn't expect to ever see you again. I said, hold it. 
I need a little bit more explanation. What do you mean by that? He said, we're from this part of the world. We've heard the stories. We know how things, how things operate, you know. He said, when it happens the way it happened with you, you usually don't see that person ever again. We made it to the Ukrainian side of the border and all hours upon hours and they finally, finally let us through. Now they had started taking it out on their own country people. They were taking it out <coughs> on the Ukrainians now. And there is a one kilometer, one kilometer distance between the Ukrainian side and the Polish side and we have to walk that. The bus meets us on the other side. That seemed like 10,000 miles. And I thought, when we get to the Polish side, it'll be better. They'll be, they'll be happy to see us. They'll welcome us and everything. They were just as frustrated and angry. I asked my Polish friend again, why? He said, thousands and thousands of people are pouring into our country. Where are we going to put them? How are we going to take care of them? What are we going to feed them? How are we, what are we going to do? He said, everybody's just frustrated. We got back on the bus and finally made it to Warsaw, Poland, and I checked into a flea bag hotel, as it were, but it had two things. It had a shower and a bed. I bought, two, I bought two candy bars and a Coca-Cola and got a shower and got a little rest and finally got to the airport. And two days later, finally made it, finally made it into Birmingham, Alabama. And much of the congregation at Winfield was there waiting. All the youth group was there. And Oh, they had signs and chanting, Mark, 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 and the news, you know, CNN and Hawks and all that kind of stuff. And they were just, it was just chaos and everything. But among the chaos, in the midst of all the chaos, there was one that I saw. And that one caught my eye more than any, and that was my precious wife. I was so proud to see her. See, all these years that I've been working overseas and that kind of stuff, she would simply say, Mark, you go. Preach the gospel. I'll take care of things here. When you get back, we'll keep on living. I said, you're so special. I said, you're so kind. People have asked, what, what can we do for Ukraine? I believe the number one thing is we can pray for them. Prayer works, doesn't it? It's powerful. Have you been prayed for lately? Have you prayed for someone lately? Put it in God's hands. God's in control. And thank God for all of that. Now, you might have some questions that I could answer. We got, what, two, <coughs> two or three minutes? If anybody has a question that I could answer or shed some light on, I'll be glad to. But uh, um, so much has been done. And I know here, y'all have provided stuff for for Ukraine, and I want you to know it's appreciated. Um, not by me, I mean it is by me, but on behalf of the Ukrainian people, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm planning to go back just as soon as I can. Unfortunately, um, the stress I was under coming out, and it did cause me to have a very light stress-related heart attack. <laughs> 
And, uh, but I recovered 100% from that. My cardiologist said, get on out of here. And uh, I'm headed back just as soon as I can. I'm going to be buying those houses, taking money in, just making sure everything is taken care of so that they can, they can, be, they can, they can be safe and that kind of stuff. All right? Is that all the time we got? Okay, does anybody have a question? Yeah. Uh-huh.